Hey, this is Danny Brown with The Deal. Thanks for tuning in. Our next guest, Leonard Steinberg, is the chief Compass evangelist, who also used to be the president of Compass, one of the top residential brokers in the country and certainly in, in New York City. A fantastic guy, a guy who uh, walks the walk and talks the talk, sends out a daily newsletter to everyone at Compass with like important news information and data. It's just got such a wealth of wisdom and information. So enjoy this episode. We'll talk to you soon. Leonard Steinberg, welcome to The Deal with Danny Brown. I'm happy to have you live outside of New York. Where are you exactly, you just said? I'm uh, one hour outside of Manhattan, north in Westchester County in a little town called Wakabuk, which is just south of South Salem, north of Bedford, Katona. And if you say Wakabuk three times quickly, it sounds like you're swearing. Wakabuk, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It, well, right? Welcome. I'm glad to have you. I've wanted to have you. Wanted to have you on, and now that we're doing Zoom podcasts, this is my first opportunity. I'm actually going to have Robert on a little later as well. So I'm glad to get the two Compass uh, Big Shot Honchos on. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? And let's start from the beginning, where you grew up and how you got into real estate and big broad strokes. And then we can get into more of what's going on right now in New York. Certainly. I started my uh, journey in Cape Town, South Africa. And I started in the fashion industry, actually. I did my first collection um, while I was still in college, in my last year of college, and uh, decided to come to New York on vacation at the age of 20. And when I arrived, I thought, maybe I'll interview. So I got a job in fashion, and I thought I'd stay for a week. I'm still here. And that was in 1986. And 10 years into fashion, I quit. Had a midlife crisis at the age of 30 did a musical career for one year, which was a total disaster. And one day when you hear me play the piano, you'll understand why. And then I entered real estate about 22 years ago. And here I am today. I started with Corcoran when Barbara Corcoran was still running the Corcoran Group. Uh, okay. A long time ago. She actually sold it 2001, just after 9-11, actually. And um, then I uh, left Corcoran, went to Douglas Elman for 13 years and joined Compass in June of 2014, when it was still Urban Compass, it was about 50 people. Yes, 50 people at that time. Yep, 50 people. And most of the people were engineers and marketing and advertising and management and finance, just a few rental agents and very few resale agents. It was very, very, very new. Yes, so what made you make such a dramatic, risky shift to try out a brand new company called Urban Compass when you were doing well, you're already an established top broker. What, what intrigued you enough to make that choice? Because it looks very different today than it did then. A very different, very different. Even the name is different. Um, yes. I've always suffered from mild insanity. So this was not an unusual moment in my life. But actually, kidding aside, I had met with Robert and Ori a few months earlier. And I just saw in them a tremendous opportunity to be part of helping build something 
that I always dreamed a real estate brokerage could or should be. As importantly, I saw them bring skill sets from outside of the real estate sphere that I thought were very sorely missing in real estate, not purely just tech. And I do think tech was very important in my old life. I would work on a newsletter. I know this is as low tech as it gets, but I'd have to reboot the computer 10 times because it kept crashing and right. just basic little stuff. You know, everyone talks about high tech, but low tech is as important and functionality to me is 10 times more important than any fancy features. So I could right. see that growing need for technology. And I loved the idea that they were coming from different parts of the economy to introduce new types of intelligence and ask, intelligence and ask different kinds of questions of the industry that I thought were uh, long overdue. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Everyone thinks of Compass as, oh, high tech and artificial intelligence, which it is. But every day, as you mentioned, we, we have these low-tech needs with newsletters and emails. And to have that at the click of a button, it's seamless. It, that's a huge deal for us. It saves a lot of time and headaches. From day one, I've always said, high-tech, high-touch. I always felt that we should never become purely a tech company and we should never be a purely traditional brokerage ever. And I really always felt that the hybrid model was the best model. And I really think we have lived up to that dream beautifully. I really think this is the perfect mix of both. It is. It is. All right. So let's fast forward a little bit to pre-corona. Let's pretend we go back in a time machine uh, 60 days or so. What is the New York residential market like at the high end? I know it was, um, LA is a little bit behind in terms of slowdown. LA was still peaking, but New York peaked a couple years ago. Why don't you walk us through what's happened in New York at the high end over the last couple of years and where it was pre-corona, just so we get a little taste of what's happening in New York City. Uh, post the Great Recession of 2008-2009, there was a grotesque shortage of supply of quality um, property. And um, that led to a surge in development and a surge in pricing. And of course, when pricing starts to surge, every banker and developer immediately wants to tack on 10% for the next go round because they think that is a endless upstream pricing, um, you know, trajectory, which is obviously not only goes one way, (laughs) only one way, never doubt. Um, and you have to be a bit crazy. You have to be a bit crazy and overly optimistic to be a developer, let's face it. But um, after several years of price escalations that were, in my opinion, unsustainable, I, um, you know, we saw the market in Manhattan, especially on the high end, start to stagnate where there was buyer exhaustion and fatigue at seeing prices escalate too far, too fast. There was definitely not a shortage of wealth. In fact, the wealth creation kept growing and growing and growing, but the fatigue and pricing kept building in momentum. And then you also saw a buildup of inventory. And just like every market is driven by supply and demand, all of a sudden you had a uh, stalling. And that started about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, and right. has been in steady decline now for quite some time. Pre-coronavirus, I'd say the last 60 days, uh, 60 days prior to the coronavirus, um, the market was quite busy. It was actually beginning to pick up notably. On the very high end, there was some activity. On the lower end, there was tons of activity. And in the middle, things were just beginning to pick up in anticipation of the spring market. And then, of course, this virus hit really hard. I do believe New York is oftentimes, in all recessions and all dramas, the first to be hit. 
And then the first to exit from the um, pain. So we're a little hopeful that that is the case now as we begin to see a decline in number of people brought into emergency rooms, which is step number one in uh, the next phase of this nightmare. Yeah. All right. So to sum it up, it sounds like the market peaked price-wise a couple years ago. Yes. Had a little bit of a pause, but over the last year or so, volume and transaction activity has been up, especially the low, lower and mid-ranges. Yes. And it was very active and things were starting to, to, to heat up again. Now we get hit with this massive health crisis. The world has changed. Everybody is, is home sheltering now, shelter in place. When, uh, we're in LA. We've been sheltered in place for a month. When was New York City sheltered in place? We started about a month ago as well. But I will tell you as well that last year, as of, um, I think it was July 1st, new tax policies went into place related to mansion taxes. They raised yeah. those rates dramatically. And June of 2019 was possibly the busiest right. month I've had in my entire career. And then it fell off a cliff. So we have had multiple stab wounds with the salt deduction, with a decline in, with an overbuilding, and then with the mansion taxes. And then there was a whole revision of rent regulation as well that impacted investor um, purchases. So we've had a thousand cuts in New York, and now we're dealing with coronavirus on top of all of this. Normal. Yeah, that reminds me, because I remember in 19, the mansion tax, weren't there some extraordinary record high sales uh, in New York City, some of the big billionaire sales that we'd never seen before? It was like a rush to that. It was a rush. In the month of June, we sold more than in the entire year of 2019, all other 11 months. So it was that busy. But December of 2019, we felt a notable pickup after a stagnation from the summer into the fall. And then January was a little slow for us, although some people did very well in January. February was very busy for a lot of people. And um, then, of course, as the coronavirus started to take hold, that kind of fell off a cliff. And right now, the luxury real estate market is, for all intents and purposes, dead which is yeah. to be expected. And I think a lot right. of people have this anxiety as to why can't we bring it back to life? Like it's, you know, Herr Dr. Frankenstein, why does the monster not awaken? The monster's not going to awaken right now. We have to get through the storm. Sure. We have to worry about our health, our families, our loved ones. That's more important. And it's really put things in perspective, sitting home, reflecting, and you know, focusing on our health and our, our families and ourselves. That's what we should be doing. And obviously there's a lot of, pain and loss and, and stress and all that stuff. Uh, and we're blessed to, to be at our homes here. Tell me what, what's going on. At, what are you seeing in the real estate community now? I assume everyone's at home doing these Zooms and kind of laying low and taking care of their families. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on, I assume. At least out here, there isn't. We have a, so much Zooming and calling and blue jeans <laughs> conferences and panel discussions going on that I think for the most part, Everyone has a long list on the menu of options in a day to keep busy or to select yeah. that which they want and then relax other times. Some people are taking care of kids. Some people are taking care of sick people. Some people are sick themselves. Right. And some people are suffering from, from enormous tragedy. The scale of this um, tragedy is enormous. We have not seen something like this since wartime. And it... I don't think it has fully sunken into a lot in the brokerage community just how devastating a moment this is in American history. But 
I'm confident we will come out of this stronger, wiser, and um, have a whole different way of thinking. Maybe not the radical shifts that I think some people are talking about. I'm still a little um, skeptical of people buying $10 million apartments from a um, virtual tour. I, you know, I just saw the funniest thing ever, this uh, company advertising, uh, come and tour with us on this virtual tour. And I was like, they should change that. Should be come and tour this apartment as if you were drunk, because the virtual <laughs> tour feels like you're drunk, staggering through this apartment. It's moving, shaking, moving, shaking. The lighting's all wrong. I'm like, this is not healthy. Yeah, <laughs> this is I not don't think, marketing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, transactions happening. But this is a good question for brokers. What is your take on what do you think brokers should be doing right now during this lock in place time? Are, is there one or two things you would say? Hey, yeah. As a broker, you should do X. I think brokers could do a lot right now. First and foremost, I think it's important to stay in touch with your clients, but not on an aggressive, predictive um, you know, tone. I think that can sound really cheesy at a time like this and tacky. Okay. I think it's about checking in, how are you caring? Because hopefully we care about our clients. Yeah. Then, of course, there are the complexities of certain transactions that need immediate attention. Those have to be taken care of. I do think it's an extraordinary time to read, plan, reflect, learn, connect. Um, and I think most importantly, we at this juncture should be refueling um, our mental and physical and emotional state so that when this market comes back, we're really ready for it. Because I do think some people are ignoring the gravity of our times. And at one point, just like a death that you ignore, and you don't grieve, you might just come back later and it might overwhelm you. So I think taking some time and devoting it compartmentalized for all of those steps is very important right now. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, when else do we have an opportunity like this? Yes, there's a lot of tragedy and negativity that's granted and it's scary. But when else have we had an opportunity to reset, fill all our buckets, whether it's physical, mental, psychological, what all every bucket you can think of, you have time to do it, we'll never, we'll never have this. And we so never have time to think. You know, we don't take enough time to just stop and really think. And I think this is a, one of the greatest gifts of all. If we could use this to really think about what we can be doing, how we can be doing things differently, who we are, what we want to be, how we want to act, how we want to you know, conduct ourselves going forward, I yes. think this is kind of a magical moment that could produce extraordinary results. I, I agree. I think that's wonderful. Wonderful advice. So let me take you out of Corona six months from now, a year from now, you know, or even a, six months ago, what would be your advice to, to brokers? What are a couple things you think brokers should be doing? Forget about Corona. Let's pretend we're past it. What are core things that you think good brokers should be doing all the time? Brokers should always, always, always be clearly um, aware and really very um, focused on the details, not just the big picture. The big picture is important as well, but the details of inventory. Understanding property in great detail is really the focus of what agents should be about because the detail that we see is pretty, pretty much close to what the consumer has access to. And we need to go that extra step to take all of that data and information and formulate insights and intelligence. Because that is our new role as agents. Our role is not to collect the data anymore, although that can be part of it. Our role is to take all of that data, 
put it together in the blender, look at it very closely, analyze it, and then give our clients substantive insights and intelligence that deliver real value to them to justify our high fees. Because our fees appear very high when we don't do that. They appear right like a real bargain when we provide real value. And that to me is, I think, the core of what brokerage has to be going forward. I don't think we are in the transaction business as much as we are in the insights, intelligence, and relationship business. So data is one thing. And I think understanding is as important, if not more important. Whenever we deliver real value to our clientele, that's when the eyebrows are raised without Botox. They raise and people see value. And you will almost, you will almost see that. I've seen it with a client when he said, well, I'm, I went to the developer and he said, I should buy this unit. And I said, well, that's a lovely unit. But did they tell you about the loading dock underneath? Right. Up goes the eyebrow and goes, okay, I can see there could be some value here. Yes. And that is a good point. You have to have the detail and the insight and the nuances because that is our value. I think that you hit it right on the nose. Tell me, what do you think will be different, if anything, when we come out of Corona in terms of what we do as an industry? Do you think there'll be any uh, monumental shifts? Do you think there'll be minor tweaks, more Zoom? Like, what do you think in terms of our fundamental day-to-day skill sets and what we do every day, showing properties, transact. Like, do you think anything changes six months oh, or a year? Definitely. I think there are going to be notable changes, but I don't think it'll be radical shifts as much as there'll be minor shifts. I think some people are talking about doing real estate virtually going forward. I don't buy it. Certainly not at the high end where yeah. even when everyone says the high end, because someone who has, is buying a $350,000 house is just so comfortable blowing $350,000 because they saw something in a drunken you know, virtual tour. Now, there's some beautiful virtual tours as well, but I think virtual tours are very much limited by the scale and the scope of the real estate. I do think sometimes we have these gorgeous you know, drone footage, but I don't know too many people who get on a drone and escalate themselves above their home and live there. So the perspective you're getting from the drone is maybe not that valuable in how you're going to be living in this home. Nice to just get the context, and I think it makes for beautiful, exciting visuals, and we should always have some form of infotainment. But I think what you will find going forward is a, a deeper awareness of cleanliness and hygiene. I think there is at this moment, I think something we've practiced at Compass since inception, the importance of exquisite imagery stills and moving imagery. And I do think you can create a pretty video out of any property. And I think you can create beautiful imagery out of any property. But I do believe if there is one great gift that emerges from this year, and there'll be multiples, but I think from the real estate perspective, the one gift that we will get is a free trillion dollar public relations campaign that has broadcast into the mindset of every consumer and human being on the planet, the importance and value of home. And you can't beat that and you can't buy it. So to me, that is going to be a long-term value proposition from this year. And the others are a little more obvious. But I think uh, if I was today a wealthy person sitting in a home that was really not that comfortable because I was waiting for some moment that the perfect opportunity arose and I put this off again and again and again. Now I'd be looking at myself going, snapped it, move on with life. It's like, you know, on your deathbed, you go like, 
I should marry this woman I love. Why are we still living together and we're not married 10 years later? Procrastination, I think, is something people will reevaluate tremendously moving forward, including real estate. Absolutely. It's not a dress rehearsal, no time like the present. I can't think of how many clients that have been on the sidelines for six or seven years saying, yeah, that the market's overvalued, the market's overvalued. Meanwhile, it's climbed 50% in that time. And here we are now they're at home in a home they don't want to be in. But I think that that is a very, very amazing. Well, I spoke the other day, I spoke in my uh, morning memo to two properties that I bought, one after 9-11 and the other one just in the midst of the uh, major great recession. Both properties today are worth so much more than what I paid for them. Both properties not only are worth so much more, but they also delivered delivered to me years of satisfaction. This moment is not only a uh, message to us about the value of home, but it is even greater a message to us about the value of life and how fragile it is, and that tomorrow you could be dead. So... Doing things now, getting them done and looking for the long term really makes tremendous sense. It also makes sense for the short term because if you look, not everyone can afford what we sell, let's face it. We cater predominantly to a pretty well-to-do audience. But if you can afford it and you're holding back and you're scared, time marches on and there's only one luxury left in life. Time is the last luxury. It's the only luxury. Health and time. A gold that ain't going to do much for you when you have coronavirus. Right. So for those of you that don't know Leonard as well as uh, some of us at Compass, Leonard uh, used to be the president of Compass, he's the chief evangelist at Compass. And more importantly, he puts out news every day, five days a week. No, seven days a week. Seven days a week, he puts out a newsletter with really riveting, important, succinct news. In fact, it's some of the most important news that you need at your fingertips every day. So I've just always appreciated the content because it's relevant and it's everyday news and it's real news. It's not fluff. And how do you do that every day? How do you have the energy (laughs) and the insight and the output to continue to do that? That's that's a lot. I'm ADD and I'm a little dyslexic. So the fact that I'm forced to read something and then write it down is a gift to me to be able to remember it. And then for me, what is so important about anything that I'm sharing, it elevates the dialogue amongst Compass agents and saves them time not to have to do the research themselves. So it's a gift to me and it's a gift to everyone reading the email, but I promise you the greater gift is to me because that discipline is something I've never had in life. I'm the most undisciplined person in the world who has been forced into a role of discipline. It's divine. Are you sure you don't have a... You don't have a warehouse of MBAs from Harvard and Stanford just cranking data to you and summarizing? I have a master of bugger all. <laughs> so let's get, talk some fun now. It's a pretty heavy time. I know it's, you know, I don't want to make light of the heavy time, but let's get into some, of, some fun stuff that's happened in your career. You sell some of the most incredible high-end real estate in Manhattan for decades. So is there any funny stories or interesting deals that come to come to mind. I know there's been a lot of them, things that you could share, lessons you may have learned from them, or just funny, entertaining stories. We'd like to hear what's going on with you, Leonard. Well, just so you know, I have sold property price from $89,000 to well over $45 million. I think $50 million was the highest. So I've sold this broad spectrum of price points, which I love because 
I have to tell you, just this uh, last week, we closed on a property all cash from a client who bought and closed on a property over 10 years ago before the Great Recession and just recently bought a new property and another property for a family member. And to watch that uh, trajectory of life through real estate is as important as selling these spectacular homes. So I've been lucky to sell all, but I have to say that it's the people I meet along the way that really provide the most entertainment to me. I've been attacked by parrots. I've been bitten by dogs. I've had all sorts of really not to be spoken about bathroom experiences. Oh no! I've, I've scrubbed toilets. I have, I've done all that. I still scrub toilets. People think because I have a fake British accent, I cannot do the dirty work. I do the dirty work too. You're still getting dirty, Leonard? Oh, oh, God, yes. You should see me with a scrubbing brush. Unbelievable. It's a talent you cannot learn. It requires skill. And what do you do with, uh, you know, you're such a centered, humble guy for how much you've accomplished. And you are like me and like a lot of us deal with some of the most entitled, <laughs> spoiled brats. You know, what is your, how do you handle that? How do you stay zen and calm when that's going on? Well, you know what? I always inject humor into it. Without humor, I couldn't survive. You know who I learned that from? Joan Rivers. Because she, make, she could make fun of the Holocaust and still laugh. And you should never make fun of the Holocaust ever. And my, I, I can do it because my grandparents died. And I think you, ha and I know that's an extreme example, of course. No one should make fun of the Holocaust. And yet you still have to find humor in everything. So just the other day, I had a client who was saying, but I cannot believe I didn't get the extra $200 from this client. And I'm like, $200? Coronavirus? I said, why don't you reach down in your pocket and see how much money is in your pocket? And I bet you have more than $200 in your pocket. And he laughed. Wow. What we have to remind ourselves is that these spoiled and entitled people who actually behave spoiled and entitled mostly around real estate because they're nervous rocks. We have to remember... Real estate, oh, real estate stirs up the most emotions in a human being. Yes, out the worst. divorce. Yeah. <laughs> so we are therapists. In fact, my client said to me, Leonard, you, know what? you should be a therapist. And I said, you are. I am a therapist. <laughs> we all are, are therapists. I'm feeling hypnotized right now. <laughs> <laughs> so how about some lessons learned or advice you would give to yourself now that you've done this and you're, you know, you've, you've had such a great career. What would you tell your earlier, your early career, Leonard, in real estate that, that may have saved you time or some wisdom that you say, hey, look, I wish I would have thought this or known this. What would, what would be some takeaways you'd say? Well, the good news is I keep learning every day. I think we all do. And I think it's important never to be arrogant and think you cannot learn anymore. Um, more importantly, I think you have to rephrase why you're doing this. And in the beginning, I did it really just because I needed to make money. And I think when it shifted to becoming, I'm excited about real estate, I'm into real estate, I love architecture, I love creation, I love design, I love all these other things around real estate to understand that real estate is not just about a transaction and money. Real estate is a huge component to community, society, and life in general. And most importantly, home impacts the almost 8 billion people on this planet. That's the one thing we all have in common. And once, if I'd realized that earlier on, I might have enjoyed doing this more. The other thing I would say that I wish I had done starting out was 
to partner with someone or to join a team or a group of sorts early because I made so many mistakes on my own that I probably could have accelerated and avoided had I been around people who could really guide and advise me. Although I did get very good guidance starting out because I would sit in my office and pretend like I was working on the computer, but what I was doing was really listening to this oh, new yeah. language. Because real estate is a language. Large language, yeah. So learning a language is best done via the ear or, you know, beaten on the head by a good team leader. Yes. Yeah, I think being on a team is a great piece of advice. I, I would have felt I never was on a team or, and that would have accelerated me as well. But, you know, you learn, you learn either way. <laughs> so you're going to learn one way or the other. You're going to learn one way or the other. So what, as we, before we wrap up here, what would you say is your outlook uh, on the New York City real estate market moving forward as we come out of Corona, hopefully sooner than later, but in the next six months, year, 24 months, what do you see happening in your crystal ball? 24 months from now, this market will be fully recovered and be on an upswing. I think that'll be very exciting. Six months from now, I think it's going to be a little bit tricky. And I think there's still a few unknowns that lead me to not want to make any predictions. I think it's a bit early until we have a more realistic trajectory of this virus. And more importantly, until we have not a cure, because I think a cure is probably around 12 months away. It could come earlier because I think what Bill Gates is doing is kind of Everyone should send a thank you note to Bill Gates. The fact that he's spending billions of dollars building seven factories, knowing that five of them will just go to waste to accelerate the manufacture of a, um, of a vaccine is like, like he's, he's elevated himself to like godlike status for doing that because no government would ever do that. But I think that, and then knowing the trajectory of some kind of treatment that prevents hospitalization that to me is a path towards a much more certain future. There will be people who will not want to live in a big city just like after 9-11, yeah. and they will probably move out. There will be people who couldn't afford the city who will be moving back in, and there'll be people moving to the city because they're going to be so excited by what is going to happen in Manhattan. If we look at 9-11, and if we look at the Great Depression, the Great Recession, and see what resulted after those tragic events that beat up New York really badly, right. there is a certainty in my mind that what follows will be so much better than before the incident or event that it'll be remarkable. But I do think there are micro markets. I think real estate is hyper-specialized. What happens in Manhattan will be different to Brooklyn, will be yep. different to Westchester. I think Westchester and New Jersey and Connecticut do extremely well extremely well and the rents have already doubled there by the way or leave the city and yeah i mean or not leave the city but have a place within an hour of the city uh, i think anything within an hour of the city will grow in demand dramatically and then i think around the country i personally see a roar back to life pretty quickly because i think um the supply demand thing is still way off and i think there's pent-up demand there's super low interest rates and i think if you look at where the um, Dow was March 23rd to right. today, it's 28% up already. Yeah. So you have to know that a lot of people who didn't sell are recovering lost wealth, number one. And number two, there's a group of people who are making a total fortune. Number four, the, or was that right. number three, there are billions and billions of dollars, billions around the world, if not more, that have been waiting for this moment. 
Waiting. They've been desperately waiting for this moment. And just like Warren Buffett said a few weeks ago, there's nothing to buy. It's all too expensive. All of a sudden, it's really cheap. Yeah. You could have bought, Warren Buffett could have bought Rheology last week. It was had a market cap of under $300 million. That's grotesquely undervalued. That's crazy. Crazy. So I think the opportunities that exist right now for wealth creation are enormous. And I think if you look at just that 28% bounce, which will go up and down, it'll, won't, it won't be a steady upward curve. But over time, 24 months from now, I think we'll be looking back at this and we'll have learned spectacular lessons. Everyone will know the value of home. And I think as agents, we'll be all significantly smarter because we'll have had this time to learn, think, reflect, and grow. Amazing. Uh, so it sounds like you think that right now and in the next six m- months, a year, it's probably some really good opportunities and you got to be a- alert and aware of the opportunities. The two best properties I've ever bought that have made me the most money were bought during times of adversity. They were not bought at peak times. Now, I will say, though, quality first. Quality mm-hmm. first. Go for quality don't go for price. The big mistake people make is yes. when markets do what they're doing right now, and who knows what the real estate market is doing? No one knows what's happening to real estate pricing. There is no data. But when people focus on price instead of quality, when markets go up, they will not rise the same way the quality product rises. And more importantly, they may not get what they want. So they live in for 10 years in something that's fourth best because it was a good price. I find that tragic. Yes. Location, 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 blue chip real estate. Yeah. And look for collective quality items in real estate. If it's a beautiful view, an extraordinary garden, maybe one gorgeous picture, a a fireplace, a fabulous ceiling height, a mint, you know, location that just, you know, breathes to a wonderful life, speaks to a wonderful lifestyle. Go for collective quality items. Go for quality if the price is not the bargain, but you have the option of getting the best, that may be a lot better than getting something cheap. I agree 100%. 100%. Well, Leonard, you should. We have the same way of thinking. We are separated at birth. <laughs> That's it. Brother from another mother. Well, you are a wonderful leader and a wonderful mentor. You've given so much back to the Compass and real estate community. Uh, that's kind of your nature. It's what you've always done and preached, which I appreciate. And now in this new world, I, I'm hoping it spreads that people will have some perspective and realize that have some interest in your community, have respect, have humility, give back. These are all tenets of things that you have preached uh, from as long as I've known you. And I really hope this spreads through our brokerage community and our communities at large. I think it's really important. I think it's also a very important time for brokerages to do a reset on how they treat one another. I think for the the vast majority of brokers really behave themselves very ethically and professionally. Some don't. And I think this is a time to say, you know what, as of today, I'm going to shift course. But I'm very much in the mode now that I'm going to be calling out any rotten behavior moving forward. And I hope everyone who sees this does the same. Speak up. Yeah, because you know what? If everyone spoke out within our community and we self-regulated the behavior of the agent community, then people would think 10 times before they behave badly because they knew that call was coming. We need to do that. Number four right now. I'm sending emailing you. We're going to have names. West Coast to East Coast. Leonard, I'm you rock. Thank you thank for spending time with us. Any thank last you. words you have for anybody? 
No, just, you know, stay strong if you can. Allow yourself to be human. This is a tough, tough time. And know for certain, not possibly, but for certain, that we're going to emerge from this better, stronger, smarter, wiser, and life will go on. It always does. God bless. Thank you, Leonard. Be safe. Thank you so much. Take care, man. That's great. Hey, thanks, Leonard Steinberg, for taking the time all the way from New York, giving us a breakdown of this, what's going on in the city. You can always find Leonard at the Leonard Steinberg team on Instagram. It's Leonard Steinberg at Compass, one of the best guys you'll ever meet and a top broker, a really good mentor. You can also uh, find find our stuff at thedealpod.com or at thedealpod on Instagram. Please subscribe, leave a five-star review and a comment. We're bringing as much quality content as we can. Be safe out there. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.